0: She goes Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nichananda, she do it to God, her she Vrindiki, Ji Shi Radha, Krishna, Jokopina, Shanga Kunda, Radha Kundi, Giddy Gobardan, Kija, Vrindavan Damaki, Jar, Natura Damaki, Jan, Abadri, Mayapur Damaki, Jaganath Puri Damaki, Jaganath Puri Damaki, Ganga, my Juna Devi, Jan, Bakti Devi, Jan, Tulsi Maharani, Jan, Samaveta Bakta Vrindiki, Jan, Gora Premanande, all glorious to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare, All glories to Sri, Guru, and Goranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Yes. Nirmala Om Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prasthaya, Bhutlalaya, Shri Mati Bhakti, Viranta Swami, Ruti Namuna. Namaste Saraswati Devi, and Bhattana, Nivasei Sissi, Radhipaska Chade Satayana. Vandeham day, Guru grew Yuta utop, Shri the Kamalam she grew Rupam Vaishnavamstra. She Sahagana pum, sagujatum, sagana, raganum, vitam, smaschirum. Sadvoitam, sadvitam, paditana, sahita, Krishna Chaitam a daygam. radha, Krishna, padam, sagana, lalita, she was shakam, vitamstra. Panchapa, she was shaky person to be in June 15, thousand and sixteen, at Soho Street in London, reading from Shrimad Bhagavatam, Canto eleven, Chapter three, Liberation from Illusory Energy, Text thirty-five. Shri Pipalaya Nuvacha.
1: Nivaca.
0: What's up? Okay. Situde pralaya swapna jagyarashu suptishu sad bahis
1: Vatsvapna-jagyarashu-suptishu-sad-bahis-cah
0: Dehendriyashu-vijayani-caram-tiyena
1: Dehendriyashu-vijayani-caram-tiyena sanjivitani param narendra
0: sanjivitani tarave param narendra hate That worked very well. Can we try that again, maybe.
1: Oh, okay the line
0: Shri Pipalayana Uvaca Shri Pipalayana
2: Uvaca Shri Pipalayana said
0: Shri Pipalayana said Stiti. Stiti. Of the creation
1: Of the creation
0: Udbhava Udbhava Maintenance Maite and destruction. and destruction. Hetu, Hetu. the cause. The cause. Ahetu. Ahetu, itself without cause. It's without cause. Asya, Asya. As this of this material universe. Yet, Yet. which? Swapna. Swapna. Swapna, in dream. dream. Jagara, wakefulness. Sushuptishu, in, in deep sleep or unconsciousness. Sat, which exists. which exists, Bahicha, and, well. and external to them as well, Deha, Deha. Deha. of the material bodies, that are the bodies of the living entities, Indriya, the, the senses, Asu, Asu. Asu. life airs, Vidayani, and, and minds, Charni, Chanti, act. Yena, by which, which. which. some jivitani, given life, Give life. Taught. 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 taught that taught. Avehi, Avehi. <coughs> please know, please please know. Param. Param to be the Supreme, Supreme. nara Indra O King, o King. O
1: King.
0: <laughs> Translation, Sri Pipalayan has said, the Supreme Personality of Godhead I'm going to ask you what he said But I guess you can see it there. Supreme Personality of Godhead is the cause of the creation, maintenance, and destruction of this universe. Yet he has no prior cause. He pervades the various states of wakefulness, dreaming, and unconscious deep sleep, and also exists beyond them. By entering the body of every living being as a super-soul, he enlivens the body, senses, life, air, and mental activities. And thus all the subtle and gross organs of the body begin their functions. My dear king, know that personality of Godhead to be the supreme. So does this go scroll through the purport too? It's a very long purport. And it's very technical and very philosophical. And please don't think about what's going to be for breakfast and what you have to do at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And just please try to be attentive. I know this is not an easy kind of purport to be attentive to. Uh, but please try. I'd like you to see if you can figure out what are the main uh, points here. Purport. In the previous verse, King Nimi inquired about various aspects of the absolute truth, namely Narayana, Brahman, and Padamati. Now the sage Sri Pipalayana explains these three features of the absolute truth in the same order in which the king mentioned them. Stiti Ubaya Palaya Hetu refers to the Supreme Personality of Godhead who expands himself as the Triple Purusha Incarnations. Mahavishnu, Brabhadakshai Vishnu and Kshiradakshai Vishnu. Okay? Why? Why would stiti, ubaya, pralaya, etu refer to Mahavishnu, Brabhadakshai Vishnu, and Kshiradakshai Vishnu?
1: creation? Hmm? Hmm? creation mm-hmm.
0: and maintenance. So which one would mean maintenance?
1: Uh,
0: would have... No, of these. Stiti, ubaya, pralaya. Uh, Stiti. 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 How do you know stiti means maintenance? Stable. Stable. Good. It actually has to do with the word stable in English. Pralaya means destruction. 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 Anubaya. No, creation. stiti is creation. is maintenance, creation. Okay. And why would this refer to Mahavishnu? Garbadakshatri Vishnu, Garbadakshatri Vishnu. Mahavishnu is the cause of creation. They're all the cause of creation, and they're also the cause of <laughs> destruction and
2: maintenance,
0: and maintenance, isn't it? Who particularly hears maintenance of the three? The Shira Shiro-dakshara.
1: Shiro-dakshara. Shiro-dakshara.
0: As described in the Bhagavatam 131 Jagrahe, Purusham, Rupam, Bhagavan, Mahad, Adi, Bhi, Sambhutam, Shodashakalam, Ado, Loka, Sishrikshaya. In the beginning of the creation, the Lord first expanded himself in the universal form of the Purusha Incarnation and manifested all the ingredients for the material creation. So they're giving evidence that this applies to the three visions. And thus, at first, there was the creation of the 16 principles of material action. This was for the purpose of creating the material universe. What are the 16? water, fire, air,
1: ether,
0: And then what would be the 16th? This was for the purpose of creating the material universe. Thus the Supreme Personality of Godhead Narayan is mentioned here as Hetuhu, or the supreme cause of the creation, maintenance, and annihilation of the cosmic situation. Still, there is no cause of the Lord himself. He is ahetu. So in the Sanskrit it says, hetur ahetu. As expressed in the Brahma Samhita, anadir adir govinda, sarva Karnat karanam. Why is they quoting that? Cause of all causes. Sarva karanat karanam, cause of all causes. But specifically in response to hetur ahetu, why are they quoting anadir adir govinda? One no, no beginning, beginning. End. Well, not no end is not mentioned here. Anadir Adir. Without beginning, Without beginning is Anadir, and Adir is?
1: Begin.
0: Is the beginning. So he has no beginning, but he is the beginning of everything. So Anadir Adir, he has no beginning, but he's the beginning of everything, is the same as Heitu to. He is the cause of everything, and it, but it's reverse like, word. Yes, very much like that. Except this is, um, this is the beginning and end, but this is not saying end right here. What it's saying is the beginning of everything who has no beginning himself. Okay, good. The Supreme Lord is the cause of all causes, and being the eternal absolute truth, he has no cause of himself. The word ahitu has also been explained by Sri Goswami to indicate that the Supreme Lord has his original form as Krishna in his own transcendental abode called Krishnaloka. Since Krishna is always engaged in his blissful pastimes in the company of his eternally liberated associates, he is aloof from the affairs of this world, which is created by his external potency known as Maya. So here's another meaning of the word, I hate to, that he's not the cause. He's not the cause because he's aloof. He's doing something else. He's somewhere else doing something else. And he has nothing to do with it. So he's aloof. Therefore, it is stated Jagrahe Purusham Rupam. The Lord expands Himself as Narayana and Vishnu to facilitate the gross illusion and gradual rectification of the conditioned souls. The Lord's aloofness. So, as Narayana and Vishnu, He's the Hetu, He's the cause. As Krishna, He's the Ahetu, He's not the cause. So, it can also be explained like this. The Lord's aloofness from the material creation is also described in the Vedas Natasya, Karyam, karanam Cha, Vidyate. The absolute truth has nothing to do. Since everything is done self sufficiently by his multipotencies, potencies. Srila Bhakti Sanatasarasvati Thakur has pointed out that even though the Supreme Lord Krishna is Ahetu, or causeless, and aloof from the cause of the material creation, the Lord is also described in this verse as Hetu, or the ultimate cause of the creation, maintenance, and annihilation of the material manifestation, because he expands himself as the Paramatma, or the super soul, who acts as the prime mover of the cosmic manifestation. Which of the three Vishnus is the super-soul? The word ahetu may also be understood in another way. In the Bhagavad Gita 7.5, the Lord says, Aparyeham itas tvanyam prakritim vidime param jiva-bhuta mahabaho yayedam daryate jagat. The conditioning of living entities jiva-bhuta desire to engage in sense gratification with their material senses, thus the creation of the material world becomes necessary. In fact, the material cosmic manifestation continues to exist because of the desires of the conditioned souls to exploit it. Why does the material world exist? Because we want it, our desire. The government must create a prison to accommodate those citizens who are inclined to criminal activity. There is no need for any citizen to live in the obnoxious condition of the prison, but because a certain portion of the population is inclined towards antisocial behavior, the prison becomes necessary. <coughs> in a higher sense, the prisoners themselves can be considered the to or the cause for the construction of the prison. So, Here, God is considered not the cause because who is the cause? The living entities. Similarly, the Supreme Personality of Godhead expands his internal potency according to his own desire to increase the ananda or transcendental bliss of himself and his pure devotees, but he manifests the material universe in response to the illicit desires of the conditioned souls to live a life of sense gratification in willful forgetfulness of him. Therefore, the conditioned living entities themselves can be considered the hetu or cause of the material manifestation. The external potency of the Lord, Maya, who is charged with the duty of material manifestation, is called Chaya, or the shadow of the Lord's internal potency. That's from... The Lord does not personally desire to manifest the shadow potency called Durga, or Maya. The blissful spiritual planets eternally manifest contain the best possible facilities, ...for the living entities who are parts and parcels of the Lord. But the conditioned souls rejecting the inconceivable eternal living arrangements the Lord has kindly provided... ...prefer to seek their misfortune in the shadow kingdom called the material world. Thus both Durga and the conditioned living entities may be considered the Hetu or cause of the material manifestation. So not only the living entities can be considered the cause, but also Durga, or the shadow. Since Lord Krishna is ultimately Sarva the cause of all causes... He is to be known as the ultimate supreme cause. But how the Lord's functions as the supreme cause of the material manifestation, stiti ubaya pralaya hetu, which is from this verse, is described in the 13th chapter Bhagavad Gita, upadrista numanta cha, the Lord acts as overseer and permitter. So drasta means to see, and upa means above. What we have in English, we have the word what? Overseer. Overseer or supervisor, or supervision, right? So it's very similar to this word, upadrasta. The Lord acts as overseer and permitter. The actual desire of the Supreme Personality of Godhead is stated very clearly in Bhagavad Gita, sarva dhamman parcha jama, may kamsaradam The Lord desires every living entity to give up the shadow potency maya and return to the actual substance, vas Vastavam vastu, which is the eternal kingdom of God. Although various aspects of the absolute truth are being described, the absolute truth is ultimately one, as stated in this verse, Tat Avehi Paramarindra. King Nimi inquired about Brahman, and now this verse says, Tat Swapna Jagara Susutishu Sad Bahis Cha. Hmm. So what does Swapna mean? Dream. Dream. Jagara. Shushupti. Deep sleep. And what does bahi mean? Bahir outside. The Lord's all pervading feature within wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep, and his existence beyond these three mental states are understood to be manifestation of Brahman, the spiritual potency of the Lord. Finally, the statement Dehendriyashu Riddaiani Charati Yena Sanjivitani. What is Dehaming? body, indriya rida heart Heart. Heart. Sanjivitanijiva's life can be understood to refer to the paramatma feature of the Lord when the Lord expands himself as Siradakasai Vishnu, the third of the three Vishnu features and enters the heart of every living entity the gross and subtle organs of the body become enlivened for continuing the chain of fruit of activity called karma According to Shiva Vishnu Thakur, the multifarious manifestations of the Supreme Personality of Godhead do not comprise the supremacy as one without a second. The absolute truth is Nata, or the Lord of the Spiritual Sky. So, Vishnu Thakur is saying that the Lord is Brahman Paramatma, is not really the, the full absolute truth. The full absolute truth is Nata, the Lord of the greater sky. The Lord of the Spiritual Sky, who appears as two-armed Shama Sundar, as four-armed, as eight-armed, or as having a thousand arms. In each aspect, his body is eternal and full of bliss and knowledge, Satchidananda Murti. He appears on earth as Vasudeva and within the causal ocean as Mahavishnu. He lies on the milk ocean as Sriradakishai Vishnu and rescues his helpless young devotee as Nasingadeva. Appearing as Lord Ramachandra, he acts as a perfect king. And appearing as Krishna, he steals the hearts of everyone and especially of young beautiful women. All these features of the Lord are indicated by the word Narayana, or the Supreme Personality of Godhead, just as the word President indicates not only the official duties of the President, but his personal family life and long intimate friendships as well. According to Srimad Bhagavatam Krishna's true Bhagavan Swayam, when one transcends an official understanding of a Supreme Personality of Godhead, and comes to the superior status of love of God, one can understand the Lord to be Krishna, the cause of all causes. The innumerable Vishnu expansions of the Lord are also understood to be plenary portions of Sri Krishna, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, as the Lord himself states in Bhagavad Gita, Am Sarvasya Prabhupada. These points have been explicitly clarified in the 10th Kento of Srimad Bhagavatam, as well as in the opening verse, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Jan Madhyasya Navad Itaratas <laughs> Chari. Sheep people Iana uraches diju bya ubaya pralaya hator Ahetur asya yet swapna jagarasu sukti shasad by his cha dehendriya shubidayani yena vitani tadaveha paramnarendra sheep people Iana said the supreme personality of godhead is the cause of the creation maintenance and destruction of this universe yet he has no prior cause he pervades the various states of wakefulness dreaming and unconscious deep sleep and also exists beyond them. By entering the body of every living being as a super soul, he enliven[s] the body's senses, life, air, and mental activities, and thus all the subtle and gross organs of the body begin their functions. My dear King, know that supreme personality to be of Godhead to be supreme. So our purpose in life is to know what is true. Why do we have to know what's true? Why does it matter? Because we're an illusion. Well, we can't know that until we know it's true. That's kind of part of the whole thing. Hmm? No, it's a cold. It's the end of a cold. We're just lingering. Yes?
1: We're looking for real happiness, but we don't want it to be based on a false platform. Okay, very nice.
0: So we're all looking for happiness. Is everybody looking for happiness? Yes. Who here would like to be miserable? Anybody? No. Okay, so we all like to be happy. Everyone would like to be happy. Yes. In in the United States, in our Constitution, actually in the Declaration of Independence, it says that everyone has the right to pursue happiness. Interestingly enough, it doesn't say everyone has the right to find it. It just Uh, says everyone has the right to look for it. (laughs) So we all want to find happiness. We don't just want to look for it, we want to find it. And uh, how can you find happiness unless you know what's real and what's not real? Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. Can I find happiness in something that's not real? Yes. I can. You're telling me I can find happiness. Okay, can you give me an example of finding happiness in something that's not real? Video games. A video game. Okay. Uh, would you say that that gives you actual happiness? No. Why not? Like, like Why not? Because...
1: Belief
0: does it actually give you relief? Does a video game or a movie or a TV show or intoxication... Actually,
1: it probably corrupts you and numbs your brain. It probably
0: corrupts you and numbs your brain. But why can't it give you happiness, any of those things, which are all, by any estimation, not real? I mean, they're real in the sense the video game has some existence, it's ones and zeros, it's metal and plastic, it's electricity. It it exists, but it's not what it appears to be. They're
1: temporal, they
0: don't last. They don't last okay the happiness doesn't last that's one way you can tell that it's not real happiness real happiness is something that lasts how else would you say it's not real happiness
1: it covers the happiness of
0: the soul it, okay but that's assuming that there's a happiness of the soul I mean that's an excellent answer but it's, it's, making, it's making a strong assumption yes uh, um, if you finish the game then that's it
1: Then you have to buy another game you have to buy another, another game very much like the, that it's
0: temporary it's limited okay it's limited you reach the end of it. That's not the kind of happiness we want. We don't want happiness that ends and has a limit, correct? I mean, we tolerate that because that's what seems to be available. But it's not what we want. Wouldn't we all like happiness that continues without limit? Yes. So in that way, it's not actually satisfying. And in that way, we can tell it's not real. So this is a little subtle but quite important The fact that we all want happiness without end. Everybody wants happiness without end, right? If you asked anybody, would you like happiness without end? They would say yes. They might say, well, that's not possible here. But would they say they want it? Yes, they want it. So where would that desire come from? If all there was was happiness that has an end, if that's all that existed, where would the desire for limitless happiness come from? So just like there are some creatures suited to live in the desert that never, they don't drink water, they don't need to drink water. So they don't have any desire to drink water. But those of us who are creatures who are designed to drink water, when we're in a desert, we have a desire to drink water. The desire to drink water in a place where there's no water is indicative that it is our natural state to drink water. Does this make sense to everybody? So the fact that we all have a desire for happiness without end indicates that that is our natural state. It's a universal desire. So things that are false can't give us that. There's nothing false that can give you uh, something limitless, some kind of limitless happiness. Also, something false can't give you happiness because it's not giving any happiness to you. So if in the video game or the movie or the TV show, somebody makes a lot of money, do you make a lot of money? (laughs) No, if you're if your character that you're manipulating in the computer game, if they win the treasure, have you won any treasure no if you know if the character in the video game or the movie or the TV show they find you know their most ideal romantic partner have you found your most ideal romantic partner no you know you turn off the show, you get off the video game and you're still alone in the house with your cats right and, and nothing nothing has changed so therefore it's not things that are false cannot give you real happiness right? And, I, and one devotee told me many years ago he said "You know, when you turn off the TV you actually feel worse <laughs> because all of a sudden you're, you're comparing yourself to this standard of happiness and when you turn it off you realize that none of that is actually touching you so in order to be happy we have to know what's true another reason we have to know what's true in order to be happy is how do you know what decisions to make that's very practical How do you know? Should I have this job or that job? Should I study in this university or that university? What should I study? Should I marry or not? If I marry, who should I marry? Should I have children or not? How many children? Should I live here? Should I live there? You know, even simple things like what should I wear in the morning? What should I eat? Right? If you want to decide what to eat, don't you have to know what is and is not nourishing for your body? Yes? Do you have to know that information in order to gain happiness from what you eat? Very simple. So if you don't know what's true and what's false, you can't make good decisions and you can't experience happiness. So is this reasonable to everybody? Okay, so we want you to know the truth. So this verse is about knowing the truth. That's what this verse is about. It's, it's, just, it's not just some theoretical, philosophical thing that doesn't have anything to do with us and we're just going to go and eat our chapatis afterwards and distribute these books that have all this philosophical stuff that has nothing to do with us. So that's, that's not what it's about. This verse is about knowing what is true. In order to know what's true, I have to know what is absolutely true. Just knowing a relative truth is not enough. I have to know what's absolutely true. And I've heard people object and say, well, you guys talk about the absolute truth. That means you're very sectarian. Well, What we mean by absolute truth is something that is non-contextual. It's true in all times and all places and all circumstances. There's a lot of truth that's true It's relative truth. It's contextual truth. Actually, even the scripture is full of contextual truth, isn't it? Yes? In fact, most of the scripture is full of contextual truth. When Krishna says to Arjuna, for those who have been honored, dishonor is worse than death. And then he says, be detached from what?
1: (laughs) Honor and dishonor.
0: (laughs) Don't be dishonored now. It'll be worse than death. Actually, don't care about dishonor so those are both contextual statements they have to be does that make sense to everybody? so those are important things to know but more important to know than that is that which is above any kind of context and that is the description of the Lord Himself, and the relationship of the Lord to the world and the relationship of the Lord to us and it is said that when we know this we know everything now that doesn't necessarily mean that you will know how to spell discombobulated. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll know what to do when your car breaks down in the middle of the street. It doesn't mean that you'll know that kind of thing. When we say one who knows Krishna knows everything, you may not know how to fix a carburetor. You may not know how to speak Swahili. I mean, that's not what it means. But what it does mean is that you'll see the basic, uh, it's called the the warp and the weft, you'll see that the threads under everything, the Lord is compared to the horizontal and the vertical threads uh, in a piece of cloth and you will understand the basis of everything, you will understand the non-contextual, trans-contextual truth of everything, and understanding the truth of everything, we'll be able to find what we seek. We will know things as they are. So the first time I met Srila Prabhupada in Chicago in 1974, uh, my father was asking Prabhupada, can I come to the temple even if I'm not a devotee of Krishna? And Prabhupada said, yes. He said, it doesn't matter what religion you are. The purpose is to know God and to love him. So this verse is very much about knowing God. Very much about knowing God. At the end of the purport, there's some discussion about loving God. So let's see if we can find out something about truth. What do you say? You ready? Interested? At least slightly more interested than you were before we began this long, 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 very complex philosophical purport. All right. So first of all, the absolute truth is the cause of creation, maintenance, and destruction so there are many religions that do not credit God with destruction or do not credit God even with maintenance so there are religions who say God created everything and then he went off and did something else I mean look we do that kind of thing right we create something and then we walk away and leave it and whatever happens happens uh, there's a, a member Akuru Prabhu most of you know Akura Prabhu does he still pop into Soho from time to time so he recommended this book to me called Good to Great by, I think, Jim Collins, which is one of the you know, seminal works in the management world. And it was an analysis of businesses that had a, a huge increase in their profitability. It was just looking at it from a monetary point of view. And what took these companies from being good companies to great companies, especially those that sustained their economic greatness. Uh, so one of them was that the leaders took responsibility. And they took responsibility for the succession of the business. They made sure that there was a succession plan. And companies that became great and then dropped off as soon as the leader left, they hadn't done that. So there were some leaders who wanted to be the big cheese, you know. We say the big kahuna. They wanted, they wanted to be the, the person in charge. They wanted to, it to be a personality cult They wanted it to be about them, so they brought their company to greatness, and as soon as they retired or died, everything fell apart, and they didn't care. They didn't matter to them. They weren't concerned about the company. They were concerned about themselves. They wanted the company to be great as an extension of themselves, and then the other companies had leaders who, all the time they were in a leadership position, gave all the credit for the company's success to other members of the company. If anything went wrong, they took the blame. If anything went right they gave it credit to everyone else. And they had a clear succession plan, and to them, it was about the company. It wasn't about themselves. Of course, we see this with Srila Prabhupada, who in 1970 stepped out of the center of ISKCON and put instead the GBC as management. And Prabhupada had always had Krishna as the center of ISKCON.
1: Yes,
0: talk about putting Prabhupada at the center. Srila Prabhupada always put Krishna at the center, but never put himself at the center. And even in terms of management, he very quickly got himself out of the key managerial position, which, by the way, had severe negative consequences for our movement as well, because he was putting people in top management positions who were only in their 20s and had only been chanting Hare Krishna for a few months and had no management or leadership training out in the world whatsoever. And some of these people made some pretty serious mistakes, the results of which we're still feeling now 50 years later frankly but he did that because he felt it was so important to get himself out of the center so God is not the kind of God who just maintains and walks away and lets it fail and you know it only needs to be important while I'm hanging around and as soon as I leave then everything can fall apart but there are many religions who, who talk about God like that and they say that all the trouble in the world is because he's gone now you know, he set it up and he's gone. Don't worry; he'll come back and fix it later, right? Aren't there religions who say like, God created everything and walked away, and it all fell apart, and and just hang on there. You know, he'll come back and fix it. You know, my aunt has cancer and she's dying. Well, too bad about that, but you know, he'll come back after a while and fix everything. So this is one view. So we're saying God is not only the creator, but he's also the maintainer. He's maintaining as Vishnu. He's maintaining, as it says here within everyone's heart within all the atoms right? we say that the whole universe is the body of God that, that everything is God as Krishna says in the Chachara Sloka before the creation I was there during the creation there's only me and after the creation there's also me and destruction so there are again many religions who don't credit God with destruction all the destruction they credit to a, a second God that they call a devil Who's in competition with God? So all the disease and all the famine and all the warfare—anything that's that's destructive in the world. This is, doesn't just mean the big destruction at the very end, but all the little destructions. You know, even that we're getting old. Right? I had—I <laughs> was at Ratiatra, and I was uh, talking to the GBC Anutama. Some of you have met him, right? Somebody walked up to him and said, "Oh, Anutuma Prabhu, is this your mother?" Wow. <laughs> That that would make me about ninety.
1: <laughs>
0: and then I, we were staying we stayed briefly in the in the VIP room at the manor. And as I was walking down those spiral stairs, there was somebody walking with a bunch of kids, and some kid looks up and says, Oh, the old lady is gonna come and get me. I'm like, Oh man. <laughs> okay, Krishna's giving me some messages here. So these are little destructions. You know, little destructions. Your eyesight fails, your hair colour fails, you know. You have to write on your driver's license grey. That was a real
1: grey? I was there
0: with my daughter, I said, Brown or grey? She says, Grey. You know, so all these little destructions and they don't think that it's God that's doing that. They think it's some kind of devil that's doing that. You know, that if God were really in charge, these things wouldn't happen to people. So we're saying, no, he's in charge of destruction also. Creatence, maintenance, and destruction. And in fact, it's very interesting about even destruction. You know, Krishna has arranged the universe so that all the decaying things and the waste products become the fertilizer for life. Isn't that fascinating? And I remember I was once talking to one devotee and said, you know, there's death because we can't fulfill all of our desires in one body. We have to die and forget and get another body for desires we can't fulfill in this body I mean some people now they're trying to change their body in this life to fulfill their other desires but that's not a very efficient or, or sane way to do it better just wait a little bit till you take your next body but uh, he also said to me he said well there's another reason he said it's so that the young people get a chance to take over And in fact, uh, in Thomas Kuhn's book, Structure of Scientific Revolutions, he talks about that the only way that a paradigm really changes is the older people who hold on to that paradigm die. Because generally, once you've been invested in a paradigm, no matter what evidence you see to the contrary, you won't change it. So death allows for rebirth. The the death of the older people allow the younger people a, a chance to do something the you know, the the manure allows the seeds to grow, the decaying tree allows the new seed to sprout, the winter leads to spring. So this, there's a cycle of, of destruction, which is part of creation. It's not simply destruction. And then also we say that the Lord is not the cause. We say the Lord is the cause of creation, maintenance and destruction. And we say, I hate you. He's not the cause. He's not the cause because he is also aloof. He is transcendent. He really has nothing to do with the material world whatsoever. And Krishna simply is dancing with the gopis. He doesn't say, um, "Excuse me, Radharani, you know, I have to take care of John Smith on the Earth planet in universe of the four-headed brahma right now." You know, he—it's—it's he, it's not like that. You know, mother, it's not mother Yasoda's tying him up and. And he says, oh, wait, 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 I just got a a prayer request. You know, it's not like that. Or, you know, oh, 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 I've got to to have, you know, an earthquake over here in that universe, in the universe of the ten-headed Brahma on that planet. I have to cause an earthquake right now. Excuse me, Mother. Yasoda, I'll be right back. So Krishna is, is aloof. He's absorbed in his pastimes under yoga maya. He's actually feeling afraid of Mother Yasoda. He's worried that Radharani won't see him. You know, he has in another way that he's thinking, another absorption. So in that sense, he's not the cause at all. He's simply transcended. He doesn't even create. He doesn't have anything to do with the world at all. And another way he's not the cause, and that is that we are responsible for the existence of this world. It's our desires that have manifested the world. Not his desires. It's not that Krishna wa- Krishna doesn't want there to be an illusory energy, just like the government doesn't want there to be a prison, and parents don't. Normal parents, they don't want to punish their children. They don't want to give their children a timeout. You know, it's not that the builders of the house created the corner so the children would have a timeout place. You know, that wasn't the purpose of the corner, and and they're they're not thinking like that. The parents wish that the children would always be well behaved, and the government wishes that all the People would follow the laws, and Krishna wishes that all living entities would be eternally happy. So one can say that we are the cause, or one can say that it's the shadow of Krishna that's the cause. Chaya. So he's, he's the shadow, shadow, the chaya. So it's just Krishna's shadow that's the cause, not Krishna himself. Or as Prabhupada would say, evil is the back of the Lord. Of course, Krishna's back is also very. Attractive, (laughs) but uh, one can say in that way he's not the cause. We can also say that not the cause simply means that Krishna has no cause, and that's a definition of God. Uh, That being uh, beyond which there is nothing greater and that being beyond which there is no cause, that God is the cause of himself. He is eternally existing and eternally expanding, and he's eternally expanding himself. And that is the very definition of God. If you say, how can there be a cause without a cause? And you say, well, that that is what we mean by God. And then another way that we can know God here is he exists within all states of consciousness. And we could talk about this for a very long time. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time right now. now. Each of these we could be discussing for several years, practically speaking. Uh, but within all the states of consciousness. So our, our material conditioned states of consciousness are analyzed as three, wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep, or unconsciousness. And that all of these are manifestations of the Lord. Because the Lord says, Bhumira you come, Mano Budhir vacha So the mind and the intelligence are also the Lord's energy. And when the Lord met the gopis at Kurukshetra, he said that whatever you're thinking must be me. Prabhupada writes there in the Krishna book that we cannot think of anything beyond the Lord's energy. Is there anything we can think of beyond the Lord's energy? We can combine it in some funny way in our mind and think about you know, flying rabbits or something like that. But the concept of flying and the concept of rabbits is within the Lord's energy. And therefore everything we think of is ultimately the Lord because the Lord and his energy are not different our ability to think that is also coming from the Lord so our intelligence, knowledge and forgetfulness our thinking ability the ability in human beings the substance of the mind itself is all Krishna therefore in all states of consciousness that is the Lord the Lord is there and Krishna also says among the senses I am the mind yes in the Bhagavad Gita he is the chief among the senses So we can understand who God is in that way. By our consciousness. By our consciousness, there is also God. No matter how our consciousness is manifested. Even in deep sleep, there's some consciousness. I mean, we may say one is unconscious. My Prabhupada gives the example that you can say, I slept soundly. So that means there was some sense of I, even in the so-called deep sleep or unconscious state. And that Krishna is also beyond them. We say Turya, which literally means the fourth. That Krishna is also in a fourth state of consciousness, beyond wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep. In fact, our wakefulness state can be said to be the furthest from spirituality. You know that Krishna often appears to devotees in their their sleep, in their dreams, because they're more accessible at that point we think of our waking state as being our, our most uh, spiritual, our most conscious, but factually, it's the opposite. The, spiritual, the most spiritual state of consciousness is when the mind and intelligence have stopped their activities and the soul is active. Of course, when we go into deep sleep, our mind and intelligence stop and our soul is not active. You know, Everything's inactive. But in the Astanga Yoga system, Prachatara. Prachatara means stopping of all of the activities of the senses and stopping the activities of the subtle senses, the mind and the intelligence, and just on the platform of the soul. Now, ordinary yogis and hypnotists, they will do things like stop the mind. If you've ever seen people in a state of deep hypnosis, what they've done is they've basically put the mind to sleep. The mind has the accepting and rejecting feature. So when the hypnotist says says to someone, you know, you are a rabbit, because the mind is sleeping and the acceptance, rejections is turned off, they don't don't reject it. Do you understand? They just accept,
1: uh,
0: okay, I'm a rabbit, and they act like a rabbit. For an ordinary conditioned soul, if you also turn off the intelligence, then they don't know how to function anymore. But for the great yogis, they would turn off the mind and turn off the intelligence and function on the platform of the soul. And generally they would do it first by fixing, the mind, the intelligence tends to be very fixed, and gradually they would dissolve these and reach another state of consciousness called trance, or samadhi. There's also a mental samadhi. There's a a samadhi of the mind and the intelligence and there's a samadhi beyond the mind and intelligence. So Krishna exists in all these states of consciousness. Then he also exists within the heart. He is the life of the life. We call him paramatma. Paramatma means the super soul, the super self, the self of the self. We are attached to this body and we are attached to this mind because I am within the body and the mind. When we leave the body and the mind, we don't have so much attachment. <coughs> Just unless, unless you're very unfortunate and hang around as a ghost. But Generally, we don't have much attachment. You read many times in near-death experiences, the person leaves the body and they're looking down and saying, oh, that person's in bad shape now oh, that's my body. <laughs> you know. And, and they don't even have it. They, they lose their sense of identification with it. So we are attached to this body and mind because we are there. And factually, we are attached to ourself because Krishna is there. Krishna is the self of the self. And in everyone's heart. And then, uh, regardless of all of these, there is God beyond. So the purpose of knowing the truth here, as discussed in the last paragraph of this purport, is not just so we can figure out how to manipulate this material world to be happy. Generally, religious people want to know God so that, and know the truth so that they can use this world for their own happiness. Such is the general goal of all the religious systems in the world. I'm going to figure out the truth, the real truth, the absolute truth, and then I can be the enjoyer of the world. That's called Sakama devotee and all the way up to the great demigods. This is the mood. And if you go to any religious system, you'll find that that is their mood, generally speaking. Or their mood is, I'll know the truth so I can get out of the world. I was just speaking to a devotee yesterday who was saying, oh, there's so much pain, just get me out, just get me out, just get me out. So we're going to be giving our seminar here on Raghunathas Goswami's Shiksha. And that, that kind of talking Right das Goswami compares to a tigress who will eat your very self. The material world is miserable, I want to get out, I want to get out. Huh? But most people use religion for these ideas. Either I want to enjoy the world by the grace of God, or I want to get out of the world by the grace of God because it's not very enjoyable. So here is another alternative. One wants to know these things, not so, okay, now I know the truth, I can use the truth to enjoy or to escape but let me know the truth so I can love the truth. So I can love the truth. Instead of loving my own happiness, let me love the truth. And if I love the truth, then I will find far greater happiness than trying to use the truth for my own happiness. And therefore this purport ends so beautifully with the discussion of the different manifestations of the Lord. Yes? Right. Lord Nasinghadeva saving his devotee, Ramachandra is the perfect king, Krishna is stealing the hearts of everyone. So our purpose in knowing the truth is so we can find the supreme happiness. The supreme happiness isn't just knowing what to eat and knowing what college to go to and knowing whether or not to get married. That's not the supreme happiness. The supreme happiness isn't like that. Or even in just realizing ourself and getting salvation from this uh, wretched really wretched uh, material body in Kali Yuga on this lower, lowest of the middle planets in this smallest of the universes of Lord Brahma. It isn't just about that. It's really about finding the greatest happiness, which everybody knows, is in love. Whenever any of us have been in love, even with something ordinary in this world, even if you're in love with your latest phone or something, then uh, that's a kind of perverted Shantaras, uh, when, when we're in love with something or someone oh, I love, no. then then yes we feel a, 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 a really special kind of happiness don't we? we become very absorbed in that which we love and we feel that nothing matters in the world that everybody can go on fighting and killing each other and screaming about this and that and it doesn't matter as long as we have uh, that which or that whom we love isn't that a fact? have all of all of us been in love with somebody or something in our life albeit briefly Okay. And and in that love, one feels like that. And it really doesn't matter, again, wh- whatever one's loving. One may love one's work, uh, one may love one's objects, one may love one's dog, one may love one's spouse, or one's children, or one's parents, or one's institution, or one's nation. But if, if we start feeling this kind of love, then we forget everything else, and we don't care about anything else. And we're willing to sacrifice anything for what we love. Isn't that true? So knowing God and knowing the truth ultimately is so we can repose our love in the source of everything. And knowing that Krishna is the Hetu, the source of everything, is not just so we have a very good philosophical grasp on what's going on here, but also so we can say, goodness, if, if I can feel this much happiness and transcendence and detachment uh, very temporarily when I love my new phone or I love my dog or I love my job, just imagine how much I would feel if I was in love with the source of all of these. You know how, how much we are able to transcend and sacrifice and get detachment when we are in love with some other living being or some object or some work in this world, and to multiply that by uncountable, uncountable times for the source of everything. And how would we feel then? How much would we transcend? How much would we be detached? How much would the world could fall apart, and we wouldn't care. It wouldn't matter to us as long as we had our beloved. And this is the ultimate reason for wanting to know the truth. And this is the ultimate reason for the Bhagavatam. And this is the ultimate goal which all of us seek. This total consuming love for the cause of all causes. The ultimate repository of everything. if, If we can have so much love for some little piece of metal and plastic in this world, and this is a very insignificant world, in a very insignificant universe. So imagine how attractive is the cause of all of the universes, all of the worlds, all of the objects, all of the living entities. So that is why we want to know God. We don't want to know God simply to be big philosophers. And and just so we have the most thorough and most accurate and most uh, satisfying philosophy, which indeed we do. But that's not why we want to know it. We want to know it so that we can fall in love. And we should not be afraid of this love. I was just, again, speaking to a devotee yesterday who said, no, no, I don't like to to really study anything about love of God. (laughs) That's too high. But that's what we're here for. We have to allow ourselves, when we read these descriptions of the Lord, we read these descriptions of the truth, we have to allow our emotions to engage, not just our intellect. If we only allow our intellect to engage... So we may go to the higher planets of the rishis. But we're not going to go to the paraviyam. We're not going to go to the supreme sky where there is not just intellectuals and philosophers, but there are those who are in love with the Lord. So we should be studying and reading with that in mind. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions? Yes. Hi, Krishna. i
1: uh, talking about uh, contextual truth and the absolute truth mm. so I um,
2: I absolutely believe Srimad Bhagavatam Gita to be the absolute truth but how do I explain it to the other person that this is not a contextual truth
0: oh such a good truth. question everything in the Shastra is absolutely true but most of it is absolutely true in context
2: this person says for you it would be fine as a contextual truth and the absolute truth being one but for me uh, as you say well
0: therefore one has to have a guru one has to have sadhus shastra alone is not the answer you cannot rely only on the shastra so I
2: need to tell that person that you also need to have a guru to understand guru and
0: sadhus you must have all three guru, sadhu, shastra because guru says this statement in the shastra Just like Krishna says, Arjuna, pick up your bow and fight. Is that the instruction for you? Do you have a bow? (laughs) (laughs) It's not your instruction. Okay, everybody, right after class, go get your bows and arrows. (laughs) Yes! And go fight Dronacharya. I don't see him. What happened to my chariot? Somebody stole my chariot. Oh my God! What am I going to do? So that is isn't that, that specific instruction is for Arjuna. It's not for you. But Krishna's instruction, "Mam anusma yujicha. think of me and fight. I'm not going to fight. Do so I have to go fight now? Okay, guys, get ready. Some devotees seem to take this quite literally. (laughs) I'm sorry, that was terrible, wasn't it? And and think, you know, that's the purpose of the Krishna consciousness movement, think of Krishna and fight with the other devotees about everything. So, that's... (laughs) But the principle there, so that's a very contextual instruction. Think of me and fight is a a very time, place and circumstance instruction. The principle is think of me while you're doing whatever you're doing. That's the, that's the non-contextual principle. But to understand that, you have to have a guru. You have to have sadhus. How did Rupa Goswami, Jiva Goswami, Bhakti Siddhanta, how did they understand Ram Anusram What did that mean to them? How did they apply that? Without guru and sadhus, you can't do it. So most of the instructions of the scriptures and the sadhus and the acharyas are in response to a particular time, place, and circumstance. The vast majority. And then there are certain instructions and certain statements that are are applicable without... They're applicable to all time, place, and circumstances. And all persons. And which are the ones that are applicable in all circumstances and which are the ones that are applicable in a certain circumstance and you have to go underneath and find what is the principle what is the universal principle behind that time, place, and circumstance for that we need guidance therefore one must have guru it's necessary one has to have guru and one has to have sadhus you can't only have guru you can't only have sadhus you can't only have scripture you have to have all is that okay?
2: Krishna that's like when you give a book to somebody he says okay this is intelligence I believe it Okay. but this is not my faith so then I tell him you have to find a guru to have your belief as your faith like when we give a book we are normally giving spiritual intelligence to somebody he said this is not
0: my faith this is what I don't believe in." Well, I was going to say how do you know whether or not you believe in it until you've read it they said they've already read it
2: yeah say if I've read it I believe what it says but that's not my faith
0: but that's I believe what it says, but it's not my not faith. People
2: accept, I not,
0: don't understand that.
2: Normally, people accept the book. Now, no, when we give a book, we're okay. giving a book as the absolute truth. We're giving it as spiritual
0: intelligence. Well, then I would say to that person, "Okay, well, what is the, what is your faith?"
2: What is your
0: faith? And try to work with him with that. Just like were was, if people were attached to their particular designation, i um, you know, I'm a Protestant, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Sunni, I'm a Shiite, whatever, then he'd say, "Okay, if you don't want to follow in this way, then follow in that way." and pray to Jesus, pray to Allah. That's, that's alright. right. Eight we, weeks have that. I mean, I know initiated devotees who are, you know, working as, they're also living in a Catholic monastery as a, as, a, as, a, as a Catholic monk while they're initiated devotees. You don't have to, you know, telling people you have to change your faith and convert to a new religion, if that's what you're talking about.
2: I never
0: heard something like that. But then, oh, Prabhupada said that many times, He's saying we're not trying to change people, change people from Christians to Hindus. You know, I, in fact, I said that. How my father said, "I'm not a Hari Christian." My Prabhupada said, "That's okay. Every genuine religion is teaching to know and love God. You don't have to change your religion. So we're not telling people to change their faith." And and frankly, even some of what we consider our core tenets are not absolutely necessary. You can still love God even if you don't believe in karma and reincarnation. You can. We, We don't require that. We don't go to the Christians and say, you have to believe in karma and reincarnation in order to love God. Do you follow? Does that make sense to you? And if they love Jesus, he'll help them. If they love Muhammad, he'll help them. Prabhupada would sometimes say, in regard to the first defense on chanting, he said, not to blaspheme devotees of the Lord who dedicated their lives to propagation. He So this applies to Jesus and Muhammad. Don't blaspheme them. If, if they have some other guru that's bona fide, I mean, if they have a bogus guru, that's something else. You know, there are cheating religions, out and out cheating religions. Just like there's cheating universities, you know, pay a hundred pounds and get your PhD. So that's not going to help anybody. But we don't say you have to go to Oxford. There's Cambridge too, you know, and, and even perish the thought. There's even American universities <laughs> and French ones, not all British. So it's not that you can't. You can get a degree from the Sorbonne. You know, you don't have to go to Oxford. You can get. You can even get a degree from the University of Pennsylvania truth is truth we're not requiring people to change their faith you know you have some ugly guy with a backache saying he's God you know that's another problem that's that's different you know, well here's my God and you say well as far as I know God is the most beautiful I don't know if this guy qualifies. that's another issue but if, if you have a, a bona fide guru and you're in a bona fide religious tradition, that's fine. So we, We'll encourage you to chant the name of God that's in your scriptures and dedicate yourself to your tradition and, and go deep into your tradition and find what is the essence of your tradition. And you'll find in all these traditions you get to the essence, again, you can to love of God. Is that okay? Anybody else? Yes?
1: Thank you. I want to ask that that it was mentioned that the material universe exists because we have a pre-existing desire to be separate. Yes. If I understand it. Correct. But I also heard somewhere else that uh, for a soul to fall down, they have to turn away from Krishna and look at material energy. Which how can they look at it if it's after, not there? If it's not there. Because they get the desire from looking at it. Okay. So I, I don't really know how nuclear how energy comes to be.
0: Okay, well, my problem here is that it is 843. And you, you asked a question that people have been debating and discussing for decades. <laughs> And there is simply no way that I'm going to be able to answer it satisfactorily. I, I will try in one or two minutes, but I will tell you that if you're not satisfied with my answer, and you probably won't be, um, there is a lot more that you can read on this subject. The simple, very simple answer I will give you right now, this is not a comprehensive answer by any means, is that you're trying to put in time something that's beyond time. You're mixing a state that has no past, present, and future with a state that has a creation and destruction and past, present, and future. And you're trying to fit those two together, and you can't, because they won't fit together like that in, in a temporal sense. And a, a lot of the problems that people have with, you know, how did we get here and what was the cause is because they're trying to fit into time something that's beyond time. And something that's beyond time, when we talk about a cause and effect, a cause and effect implies time, that the cause happens first and then the effect happens. If they both exist simultaneously, it's hard for us to understand cause. And effect. I mean, we can understand a little bit, like the sun is the cause of the sunshine. But this, it's not that first there was a sun and then there was sunshine later. Unless there was sunshine, there was no sun. In order for it to be a sun, it has to have sun shine and yet the sun is the cause of the sunshine. That's a little bit of an idea of something that doesn't have a time, a past and future and present, and still one thing is the cause of another. So the spiritual world, time is conspicuous by its absence. There's no past and future. So how can a soul make a decision that leads to something in a world that has no past and future? That doesn't what do we do with that uh, we can't really so when you try to explain well the material world is created and destroyed so there might be some soul in the spiritual world who wanted to come down at a time when the universe was destroyed and there was no universe to look at so I guess when the universe is destroyed nobody can fall because they have to wait till there's a universe to look at but that's a very the, the, the lens through which we're seeing that kind which is which is a very intelligent and thoughtful question by the way but the lens to which you're asking that question is, is the lens of past, present, and future. And it, it's, trying to, to, it's trying to put something in a box that really doesn't fit into that box. And, and because of this basic problem that we're talking about something that's beyond time and yet we're trying to talk about cause and effect. I'm convinced that's one of the reasons why this is a very difficult. This particular question of how did this whole thing start for me is a very, very, very difficult one to answer. It just it, it, however you answer it, puts you in some sort of a mental circle. And how, however you answer it, puts you into something that's inconceivable and something that just doesn't doesn't add up. In principle, you can say that my existence here has to be either my fault or somebody else's fault, or nobody's fault. Does that sound like our options? The fact that I'm here, either it's nobody's fault at all, and we've talked about fault because being here is not particularly pleasant most of the time. Am I the only one who has that experience? So it's either just nobody's fault, or it's my fault, or somebody else's fault. So nobody's fault means that either there's nobody running anything, or whoever's running everything is just sort of detached, or whoever's running everything is, uh, you know, there's something wrong with them. So that's one philosophy. If it's somebody else's fault, then there's something wrong with fairness and justice in reality. If it's God's fault, there's something wrong with God. Why would God take me and put me here? And put me in this situation of this you know, old, decaying, sick body in this old, decaying, sick planet? You know, why would he do that? So then I have a real problem with God then God, why would I love him? It seemed that I would actually hate him and, and resent him. And You know, there's all these fictional stories of, of like that, that this world is some kind of an illusion created by machines or created by alien beings to just suck out all of our energy and torture us, right? Are there fictional stories like that? Yeah. Yes. So that's the, this idea of this malevolent God who's put me here under illusion and suffering for some malevolent purpose. And then there's, well, it's my fault. Well, if it's my fault, my problem with that is that it doesn't seem to me that I would choose what I'm experiencing. That, that doesn't seem to me to make any sense. I would like to think of myself as far more rational and intelligent and discriminating than that I would have chosen this life and, and this body and this planet and so forth. So I, I either have to either have to say that the, the whole creation is senseless, or somebody is evil and, and has evil intentions or that I'm a fool of the three I would prefer to think that I'm a fool why would I prefer to think that I'm a fool well first of all it, mi- it means that the universe makes a lot of sense and I would prefer to think that the universe makes sense also I prefer to think that whoever's running things is, ki- is kind if who's ever running everything is not kind then you're really in trouble what are you going to do If there's nobody running everything, what are you going to do? What's your option? Suicide, I mean. what is your option? If I'm a fool, that can be fixed, hopefully. If I'm the one responsible, then that means I have agency, and that means I can do something about it, and, and that's very exciting to me. If the problem is with God, I can't do anything about it. If the problem is just there's nobody in charge, I can't do anything about that. If the problem is me, I can fix me. And it also means that the universe is fair and orderly and meaningful. So I prefer that option for those reasons, even if I can't really understand how it is that I'm such a fool. Because I don't think I'm such a fool. I I think I'm a highly intelligent, rational being. I do. I don't think I'm foolish at all. Occasionally it's right in front of my nose and I have to say, well, yeah. But with that, that seems to me to be the most reasonable option. Now, how exactly I am a fool and how exactly I made in the past a foolish choice and how exactly I am making at this present moment a foolish choice, that's another question which I think becomes revealed to us as we chant Hare Krishna with sincerity you know, or maybe even without so much sincerity. But as you chant Hare Krishna, it starts. To, one of the things that will start to become obvious to you, and if you don't like this idea, you probably should chant. Start stop chanting Hare Krishna. Or you can keep chanting Hare Krishna, but offend devotees, because then it won't be very effective. But if you want to chant Hare Krishna and not offend devotees, then one of the things that you will start seeing is that you are a royal, certified idiot.
1: <laughs>
0: it, will, it will become more and more obvious to you day by day that you're not really intelligent and rational and, and and that you really are just, you know, an absolutely certified, stamped, you know, uh, fool. And you'll you'll see it for yourself, which is is quite disconcerting, frankly. It it really is. It's it's quite disconcerting. It, it gives you a lot of cognitive dissonance at first because it's it's quite uh, opposite to our ahankara. It, it's really very, very much the opposite. You know, ahankara is I am I'm perfect, powerful, and happy, and i am, I'm competent, and I'm expert, and I'm together. And you know, and I'm together in Krishna consciousness. I was together materially, and now I'm together in Krishna consciousness. And I'm, I'm a good devotee, and all this kind of stuff. And, and as you chant, if you don't offend devotees, you you will see this. That is that all that's a lie, and it's not true. And you really are choosing to be in Maya right now. It wasn't just something that you did in the spiritual world a long time ago when the material world was destroyed and so you really didn't have a chance because you couldn't really see what it was and somehow you jumped without knowing what you were jumping to and so you really weren't to blame at all for the whole thing and you'll see that you're doing it right now, in this moment, that I'm choosing to rebel against Krishna right now because I'm a flaming idiot. And and you'll see that. And and you'll have to look at it and say, Oh, gosh. Whoa. Well, well now what do I do about that? And, and and that's that's how I really look at the at the whole Question: That it's really irrelevant what I did 10 billion years ago. It's really what's relevant is what am I doing now at 8:52 when I have to stop the class. (laughs) Thank you very much. Sheila Farb Keating.